Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. As you and I come to the last two chapters of Joshua, chapter 23 and 24, we're going to read of a cliffhanger of sorts. These two chapters contain the last instructions of Joshua before his death. And the Lord is calling to 12 tribes to remember and to obey the covenant that was made between them. And in Joshua 24, 31, we see that during Joshua's leadership, they did. They did obey. They did listen to the word of God. They they followed Joshua in doing what God had called them to do. But As you read Joshua 24, 31, and you can turn there real quickly, we are left in suspense with the question is, will they or won't they continue in that obedience? It's here on the monitor, but it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So Father... Give us wisdom as we finish out this book. What a wonderful book it's been. More than just a a, a history of a people uh, of Israel. One that we'd like to kind of just grab some information with a lot of exciting things and maybe even some difficult things. But this is profitable for us. It teaches us doctrine, reproof, correction, train righteousness. So thank you as we just continue and finish off. Lord, that you just help us to understand your word, that we learn the truths that are found here. And Father, that we would be found faithful in serving with sincerity and faithfulness. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. So what we see here is Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and then the elders that had served. But it seems as we're looking at it that they only served for that time. Of course, next year we'll get into the book of Judges and we'll find out what happens to Israel. But these two chapters, these last two chapters, 23 and 24, include two speeches, one to the leaders of the nation and then the second one to the people of the nation. Now, as a matter of review, we read last week that after five years or so of war, the tribes are now receiving their allotment of land, including the land set aside for the Levite priests and the cities of refuge. And the writer of the book of Joshua is emphasizing the theme of Yahweh's faithfulness and the reward for those who are obedient to his word. Now, as we come to our passage today, these two speeches reiterate those promises of Yahweh, the importance of obedience, as well as the blessings and curses if they disobey. Trent Hunter, in his study guide of Joshua, writes that the Lord had given Israel rest, he had given them victory, and now he has given them land. In response, they are to fulfill their part of the covenant of directing their worship only to Yahweh. Look at with me at Joshua chapter 23, and let's look at that first verse together. It says, a long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all of Israel's, its elders and its heads, its judges and its officers, and he said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. That's, that's important. He's, he's bringing this out. He says, behold, do to this, 
I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remained, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. In other words, there is some land that still needs to be defeated. There's still some enemies. He says, I'm going to give them all to you. Verse 5. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. You shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Now, it's easy to see here that the emphasis is on Yahweh's faithfulness in providing for Israel, for in fighting for them, in defeating his enemies, of pushing them away, of providing the land and the rest that they needed. Now, Pastor Vernon McGee, I don't know if you remember him, he's a famous pastor from the last generation. Pastor Vernon McGee notes that Israel and its leaders were called to four actions based on the works of Yahweh. Because Yahweh has done this, because God has done this, you should do these four things. So I want to take a moment and look at those real quickly. The first call was to courage. Be courageous, be strong in their obedience. Look at verse 6. They are called to be very strong, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left. Stay straight. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling. You may want to circle that. Circle those action words. Do not mix. Cling. Keep to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Though the war is over, Joshua warns them that skirmishes, there are battles that will still follow, that still must be engaged. They must adopt a situational awareness knowing that there are still enemies about. It is not a time to sleep in this rest, but still be sober-minded. Does that not sound familiar as we read Scripture? They are to be careful to love the Lord by not adopting the practice and culture Of those around him. Now we're going to come back to this theme uh, next month, but it suffice to say is that we must recognize that we cannot drop our guard. They now must be mindful not to fall into the same traps and temptations that their fathers and mothers, their parents, had done in the wilderness. Remember when they had started to worship and bow down and intermingle with some of those from from Midian. The second call. First was to courage. <coughs> the second call was to certainty. In verse 12 of Joshua chapter 23, Joshua warns them, if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these nations that are still here, remaining among you, and if you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, look at this, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. So there's a condition here. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. This does not sound very pleasant as we think about it. Until you perish from off of this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. These are strong words. Disobedience comes with a high price. Let me say that once again. We've talked about this before. 
But disobedience, sin, comes at a high cost with a heavy price. And we must never forget that. Scriptures are filled with men and women who have neglected that very warning. Here, even in our little community here, we can attest to that truth, could we not? You and I, many of us, bear the scars of our disobedience to God's word. In this case, Yahweh warns them clearly not to disobey him or to disobey him, excuse me, would cost them dearly. No longer would he fight for them, but allow them to become the enemies, to become a thorn in their side. He will allow them to perish and to lose the land. Here we see that though the promise of ownership of the land was unconditional, Israel will still have this land, by the way, uh, again, They have a partial of it. I believe in the millennium, they'll have it. I believe in the new kingdom, they will have it forever. But the possession of the land was conditional on their obedience. So there is a call to be certain that to disobey God would come at a heavy cost. The third call was to consecration, was to consecration or commitment. In chapter 24, we're going to go to the next chapter. Joshua summons the people together along with their leaders. And in verse 2, we read that Joshua declares, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. We sung that in a song just a moment ago. And you and I need to understand that God's word is thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. This is what scripture says. This is the very word of God. Indicating that now he is functioning not as an administrator or a general. Excuse me, I'm just going to go ahead and take a moment. I had this problem last week. He's not just functioning as some type of administrator or general or leader of Israel. He's now speaking as a messenger of God. This is a call attention when you see this. This is hold this dear, write this down, imprint it on your hearts. Yahweh begins by reminding them of all of his work once again and calling out Abraham to follow him. He takes him to the beginning of their lineage. He reminds them of the miracles in Egypt and delivering them from slavery. He reminds them of of him sustaining them in the wilderness by providing water, by providing manna, so on and so forth. He reminds them that it was he who drove out their enemies and gave them a land that in Joshua 24, 13 is which you have not labored and cities which you have not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Because of this, he calls them in verse 14. He says, now, because of this now, Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This is a, a call to consecrate, to remember the covenant, to commit themselves to what God has called them to do. Because of, we do this. Same as to this today. Because he loved us, we love him. The Bible tells us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We now move and our hearts are moved towards him. So we had courage, the call to certainty, the call to consecration. And fourthly was the call to consideration. Consideration. 
after receiving this word from the Lord, Joshua calls them to consider their response. Now, before you tell me how you're going to respond, he says, consider. We do that at the end of the message where I ask you to pause, to pray, to consider, and to respond. After receiving this word from the Lord, Joshua calls them to consider their response. And and you and I are left, will they or won't they? Will they consecrate themselves? Will they stay committed or will they fail? In verse 15, we read some very famous words. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served in a region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whom you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve what? The Lord. That's the call that we ask every father on Father's Day at least once a year. It should be something that we're always calling. Choose to serve the Lord. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time. And I I have a short message today. So let me editorialize just a little bit here just on this passage. And I better make a note so I know where I'm at and where to go back to. Is what he's saying here is, is you've got to remember that Abraham was an idol worshiper. Here's something I've always wanted to ask uh, people who are much more theologians, than, they're theological than I am. Theologians. Is, is, is Abraham and Job, remember Job, lived during the same time. Now, remember what God said about Job when Satan came to him? He says, have you considered my servant Job? Look how good he is. Look how committed he is. And Satan says, well, let me do this to him. I'll I'll do it. So so God allows him. He allows him to kill all of his children, take all of his land and all of that. And Job still did what? Did not curse God. Did not curse God, but gave glory. Lord, give the Lord, take it away. And then Satan says, well, let me touch his body. God says, okay, you can do it, but you can't take his life. So then he gave him these boils and these sores. And then he spent some time with some really, uh, this is a Greek word, crappy friends, who, who gave him really bad advice. And I think of Job, living during the same time. Why did God not call Job to start the Hebrew nation? Why did he start with a man who was actually an idol worshiper? Abraham or Abram, as you know, it was just a, a man living in a country, not even in Canaan, who was, a, who was an idol worshiper. He worshiped another god. That's what scripture is telling us. But so, okay, that's beside the point. But I've always wondered that. But in the same thing, does not God call us? He didn't call to come the righteous, right? He called to come the unrighteous. See, I was Abraham. You were Abraham. And God's called you out of false worship to worship him. He opened Abraham's eyes. Job's eyes were already open, was already worshiping God. So he goes and he calls one who is an idol worship. And that's what God is saying is, look what I've done to your people. There is nothing among you that you can boast. Job did a little bit of boasting, did he not? Just a little bit. I haven't done anything wrong. Who will proclaim me innocent before God? That's a great passage of scripture. But it's again remind us that he says now here to Israel. He says, are you going to worship the God of your fathers of Abraham? Or are you going to worship the gods that you were worshiping in Egypt? Or are you going to be tempted to worship the God that you tried to do in in the wilderness? He says, no. Come and serve me. Why? Because what much has been given much is required. 
That's so important as we just look at this. As you and I are the same way, so the question remains on your house today, whom will you serve? For there was a day when you did not serve God, the Almighty God. You served yourself. Verse 16, I guess that's neither here nor there. That was just my own put on it. Let's go in verse 16. When he says, we will serve the Lord, but who will you serve? In verse 16, we read that they answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So they're an affirmative. We are with you, Joshua. We will serve the God who is called our forefathers. We will serve the God who has delivered us, who has given us this land. But in verse 19, Joshua, <laughs> now this is, a, this is a thing in leadership right here. This is kind of interesting. Look what Joshua says in verse 19. You are not able to serve the Lord. Well, it's not very motivating. It's not a Joel Olstein quote there. I don't think you're going to see Oprah saying that there. He says, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is what? A holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions of your sin. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. But in verse 21, they respond, no, but we will serve the Lord. The book of Joshua then closes with two deaths and three burials, which is kind of odd. Two deaths and three burials. Joshua dies at the ripe old age of 110. It notes that he was buried in his own inheritance, if you're looking there at the end of Joshua. What a wonderful story. Think of that. Joshua, born in slavery, elevated to serve as Moses' assistant, Chosen then to lead his people to victory and now buried in his own plot of land. From rag to riches. It also notes that the bones of Joseph were buried in the land. And this fulfills the confidence of Joseph. Remember Joseph from the Bible, a man of young man with the coat of many colors? It fulfills the confidence of Joseph in the promises of Yahweh. You might recall that back in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, that Joshua, if you look here in the monitor, requested this. He says, I am about to die when he spoke to his brothers, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Now that was the promise that he had his brothers give, but here's the thing, his brothers never fulfilled that. They died. Joseph's nephews from his brothers never fulfilled that, for they died as slaves. His great-grandnephews, so on and so forth. 400 years, Joseph's body lay in Egypt. In Exodus 13, 19, though, we read that Moses took the bones of Joseph with them when they left for Canaan. Though almost buried in this book is also another great testimony to the faithfulness of God and the faith of the patriarchs who were confident that God would fulfill his promises. 
The book ends with the death of Aaron's son, Eliezer, the high priest. And this leads us then to that cliffhanger that we spoke of earlier. As the old generation dies away, a new generation comes of age. And here's the question. Will they keep the commitment of their fathers? Will they choose to serve the Lord? Will they intermix with the enemy? Will they adopt the practices and begin to worship false gods? Will they stay true to the covenant and the law? Big question. But isn't that a question that every generation has to answer? It confronts every new generation. It seems that each new generation rebels against the worldview, the beliefs, and the customs of their parents. They begin to question what they've been taught. They're ready to, to throw off anything that they feel is oppressive, rigid, or binding. They desire to make their own decisions, plot their own paths, and blaze their own trails. And the church is not immune to this movement. In 2017, a study done by Barna for LifeWay Research indicated that 68% of Protestants ages 18 to 22 who went to church regularly in high school stopped attending church on a regular basis for at least a year after they entered college. Some percentage of those people do eventually come back to attend, but the figure still indicates many do leave permanently. According to an article online at crossexamine.org, who references that study, they found that those who left indicate they left because they had a hard time believing a good God exists when there's so much evil in the world. We looked at that in our adult core class. That's a big problem. Evil still exists. They have a hard time believing in a good God. They believe that science refutes too much of the Bible, which today seems a joke to me. But that's one of their questions. Also, they leave because they don't believe in fairy tales, aligning with the common atheist mantra that the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales. And men, would you just mind turning down this mic for just a moment? Excuse me. I'm going on vacation, and every time I go on vacation, I start to get sick. So this is, this is it. By the way, I will be here next Sunday, so please, I'm just going to be gone for a couple days. So with that, if, if by chance, if there's emergency, please get a hold of Randy or Landon, so make sure you get their numbers. Now, there are a lot more reasons than that that people leave the church, leave the faith. Deconstructing is a big term today is where someone deconstructs their faith. They, they tear it apart and they build up a different belief system, a different world system. Some of us today are probably part of that group who grew up in the church, grew up maybe with Christian parents, maybe went to Christian schools, maybe not. But for some reason or another, we found ourselves leaving the church. I was one of those. What I would do as soon as I had a job, I, I worked it so where I asked the boss to always schedule me on Sunday mornings. So I could get out of church and have an excuse. However, we also know many others who have not come back. So there are many who have left, come back once they're married or have children. But we know many. 
I have many, many classmates who were children of elders and deacons, pastors, who never came back to the church. And when I see them on Facebook or other social media, they have nothing to do with God's church or God at all. To talk to them about God is something that would just put a wall between us. And how does that happen? How does one generation lose it from the next? There's many reasons we're not going to finish that all today or get into that big topic. But it does happen. Passing the baton is very important. We saw that in the Olympics. The men's Olympic team lost because they could not pass the baton. They couldn't hand it off to the next. And we struggle with that as husbands, as, as, as wives, as parents, and pass the baton to our children. Now, now let me say that, that we can do everything right. And we, we can pass the baton, but they can still fumble it on their own. Each child will stand on whether or not they are regenerated, reborn, uh, born again. They, they do not get graved on a curve because you are a pastor or a good Christian. So please, your children will stand on their own. So let's make sure that their faith is real. And there is that concept of taking, I remember of saying, well, is my mom's faith that I grew up with, is that truly my faith or not? And there's been some changes. I remember that was difficult for my mom and I as we talked and we saw that our faith may be um, exhibited or manifested a little bit different, but we still hold on to the faith, the gospel. That's so important. Sadly, though, there are many, not only that have left the church, and declared that they no longer believe. Yet what I believe that is what is more sad. Is that a term? Is it more sad? Sadder. What is worse than that. Is that many still profess to be a Christian. And believe that they're going to have an inheritance in heaven. But I'm telling you they are sadly mistaken. As we work our way through the Old Testament, we will see that Israel does not remain faithful, courageous, or committed to the covenant. Eventually, they will lose possession of the land due to their disobedience and their rebellion against Almighty God. Do they still own it? Yes, it is there. that promise is there for eternity. They forget the one who delivered them from the slavery. They forgot the one who defeated their enemies. They they forgot the one who provided the land that they came home. They rebelled against their creator, their deliverer. And as you and I have been making our way also through Luke's gospel, we read that even with the appearance of the Messiah, the people are in disobedience and have so distorted the law of God, the covenant of God, that it's no longer recognizable. Jesus spends much of his time uh, reordering their worldview of redefining it, or not redefining it, but bringing it back to what it originally was. They have forgotten the calling, the consecration, and the considerations of their forefathers and have adopted the morals and the mindsets of the enemy. The children of Israel failed to heed the warnings of Yahweh, Joshua, and its prophets. What you and I must understand this morning is that you and I must not make the same mistakes. Remember the Apostle Paul warns us that the children of Israel serve as an example for us. That's why you and I are called to read the book of Joshua. 
to study it, to understand it. We too are, are to be careful to love the Lord our God. So how does this passage serve then for us to be profitable, to be doctor or profitable for doctrine and proof for correction and training in righteousness? How do we make sure that we do not repeat the errors of Israel? How do we safeguard our children from falling away? Well, look back with me at Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. And here's where we get the theme and the title of our message. And I think you really should underline this passage of scripture. This scripture is so important. In Joshua 24, 14, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In this verse, we see two responsibilities of every believer that is called out by God, that's regenerated by the Holy Spirit and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Number one, we are to serve God in sincerity and faithfulness. We are to serve God in sincerity and faithfulness. It is no surprise that you and I are called to serve God. He is our creator, created in his image. We are created to, to guard and keep his creation and to worship him as the supreme object of our admiration. In this passage, we see the why and the how we are to serve him. I'm sorry, let me do that once again. In this passage, we see why and how we are to serve him. The why is the one that we've looked at before. And the one that, as Christians, we really struggle with. And that's fear. In scripture, fear means to stand in awe of, to be awed. To, to reverence, to honor, to respect. To be fearful and dreadful. There is a sense, and yes, we are to be dreadful. For why? For he is a, a God who can kill the body and the soul. It's to cause astonishment and awe, again, to inspire reverence or a godly fear, to make afraid, to be terrified. He, he calls us that we are to fear him. Why? Because he is the almighty God. This type of fear is demonstrated by many of the Old Testament saints who, when confronted with the holy God, Abraham, Jacob, Joshua, and Isaac, and many others, it's to understand of, of, a God, of who God is and who we are. It's to understand that the attributes of God is a sovereign, wise, providential, good, loving, but also a wrathful and jealous God who will one day judge us. And knowing and understanding God leads us to serve as his mediators here on earth. That's why we were created to mediate on his behalf, to protect and to guard. To serve simply means to work or to labor on behalf of of another. In this case, you and I have been called to serve as God's regents here on earth. And just as Yahweh reminded the people that he called Abraham out of his homeland to follow him and why he delivered them from slavery in Egypt, it was so that they may serve him. Remember, the, uh, let my people go that they may come and worship me. We too have been called out to serve the purposes of God. Look here on the monitor. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. It says, for by grace, do I have that on there? I do not, I'm so sorry. In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remember we talked about this before, between Job and Abraham, right? 
For we are his work. Now we usually have that part of the verse, but here's the rest of that passage. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are not created or we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, which God, he says, has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has preordained that he would call you out and that there would be works that you would do in serving him. We We see the how we are to serve God. We then now see the how or the how we are to serve God. We're to serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Faithfulness. Sincerity means completely, wholly, entirely, soundly, unimpaired, innocently, having integrity, completely in accord with what's true and what's fact. This captures the mindset of serving not for our own pleasure or for our own gain, but for our Lord. We're also to serve him faithfully, which means with firmness, truthfully, sureness, reliability and stability and continuance. We're not looked for better pastures or loopholes to get out of our duties as Israel did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, do I have this one, Ben? I don't have this one as well. My goodness, what was I doing in there? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, this is how we sh- one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards or servants of the mysteries of God. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Anyone know? Faithful. He's called you to be faithful, to serve God faithfully and sincerely with one mind, to to serve him and to serve him only with, with a whole heart. Number two, not only we are to serve him with sincerity and faithfulness, but two, we are to abandon and remove all other allegiances that are contrary to God. We're to abandon and remove all other allegiances. And let me guess, I didn't put that on there either. Colossians chapter 3, sorry about that. Yes, I think so. Turn your Bibles and turn to Colossians 3. We're going to go there. We got some time. Colossians chapter 3 in the New Testament. We've looked at this verse before. It should be one that you have underlined. It should be one that's on your schedule to memorize. Colossians chapter 3, we read this. If you have been raised with Christ, and I pray that all of you have, if you have not, don't leave here today without knowing that, of whether or not you'll stand uh, guilty or not guilty before him. It says, if you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. In other words, you and I, our, our mindset needs to be on him and him alone. We are not to mix with others. Our, our, our aspirations and dreams should be those of his. That's what it means in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and when the same way, you and I need to do some idol killing. You and I have some gods that we need to slay in our hearts. Your your sword should be sharpened. You you should be killing sin, right? Or sin will be what? Killing you. And so you and I must be at war even as we are at rest, knowing that the victory is ours. There are skirmishes that are about. And I'm going to share more about that on, on Labor Day weekend. 
So be here for that as we just give it a little bit extra in Joshua here. You and I need to recognize that we are to remove any other allegiance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 5, we are called to destroy arguments and every loft and opinion uh, raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If there is anything that calls you not to obey Christ, then you need to take it captive. You need to slay it, put your foot on its neck and just behead it. You and I need to be doing that type of work, that soul work. You need to look at those things that are preventing you from serving God. All who are called to follow God must courageously serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness, aware that Satan seeks to destroy, to demolish, to disable and distract and discourage the child of God. So we too... As you and I read this, must adopt the attitude of this generation of Israelites. We must be courageous, especially in a world that is hostile to our faith and serving the Lord. We must be confident and certain that God rewards those who obey him and judges those who reject his rule. And knowing this, we must consecrate ourselves daily, praying for more grace and faith to serve him wholeheartedly. We must consider scripture that calls us that if we were to come after him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. We must remember what Landon read to us earlier, that our bodies are to be a living, holy sacrifice and we need to present it before God. And not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the removal of our mind that we may prove what is good and acceptable. Do I have this one on the screen, next one? Second, uh, or Titus? Yeah, thank you. I finally got one. We've been reading through this as our men, and I encourage the ladies to join us. We learn this. The scriptures called us that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. For those of you who are trying to find your purpose in life, you don't know what you're supposed to do. You don't know how you're supposed to live. Here it is right here. This is what God is calling you to do. So let us do this with all sincerity and faithfulness, trusting that God will be faithful to his promises. Amen? One last note, as mentioned earlier in the book, and thank you. As mentioned earlier in the book of Joshua, it ends with the record of Joshua's death along with that of the high priest. Soon afterwards, Israel will reject God and everyone will do what is right in their own eyes. As long as Joshua was there, they conformed. However, it took just a generation for them to forsake the law of God. The point I want us to make is that we have someone much greater than Joshua today. He was looking forward to redemption. You and I look back on redemption. So when Joshua said, you cannot do it, let me tell you that we have a Joshua, Jesus, same name. He saves his people from their sins. We have a leader, a God, a a, a Christ man who now says, yes, you can, who came to destroy the works of Satan, who has now given us the power to obey God. 
So we are not in the same boat as Israel, but we face the same temptations. And where Israel was doomed to fail, you and I now know that even when we do fail, God is faithful not to consume his children. See, our ownership and possession of our inheritance cannot be taken away. That's the gospel that you and I have. And knowing that, it should cause us than to serve him more with sincerity and faithfulness. Second Peter gives us this, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Good, I have it. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Look at this. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. What's that? Salvation, the inheritance, the kingdom of God. So that through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. We too can be like Christ, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So let us commit to fear God in walking and serving in sincerity and faithfulness that we may worship our God who has created us. Amen? Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ask the worship team to come on up, and Randy, if you don't, go ahead and prepare. This is that time to pause, to consider. What we read here, it was given to us as an illustration, as an encouragement, but also as a warning to serve him. So I pray that if there's any here that do not know Christ, would you come see Randy land in her eye? We'd love to share with you how you too can have eternal life. For that is God's great promises to those that he's called. You say, well, I'm not even sure if I am. Well, then let's make sure today is the day of salvation. Don't take another day. No day is given to you. You have no guaranteed for the rest of the day. You're not guaranteed your trip home. So let's realize that we stand before God and he's calling to you. I pray that he's knocking this morning that you would open up. But then also I want to encourage you if you're here as a Christian, if you find yourself mixing with the world, then it's time to confess and repent of that sin. Knowing that God has called you to come out from among them, to serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and to restore us. Let us give thanks to a great Savior who has enabled us to serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Would you pray and ask what God is calling you to do this morning? May the Holy Spirit have reign and respond to his work. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.